is the Beyond the Studio podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. And we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Since this is an adult podcast hosted by two young adults, there's a possibility of some adult language being used. If this might offend ears around you, be sure to pop in your headphones before listening to this episode. Today's episode of Beyond the Studio is brought to you by Storyblocks, an amazing stock video, audio, and image service that's royalty-free and pays the artists 100%. Check out videoblocks.com slash beyondthestudio for a special offer on their year-long membership. Before we dive into today's episode, we wanted to announce that we are doing a giveaway, which we have subtly promised over the last several episodes. But it's finally here, and it's finally real. And in the spirit of all holidays, national and international, we want to give you a gift. So the book that we are going to give away is called Art Slash Work, Everything You Need to Know and Do as You Pursue Your Art Career by Heather Darcy Bandari and Jonathan Melber. And Nicole is going to actually tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, speaking from personal experience, I can say that this book has been immensely helpful in navigating all the twists and turns of my own art career. You might even be thinking that you already have a copy of this book. It's got a bright orange cover. It was originally published in 2009. But what you may not know is that uh, Heather Darcy Bandari and Jonathan and Melbourne just released a new revised and updated version in October 2017. The cover is bright neon yellow and it includes all of the helpful information from version one as well as a bunch of new and relevant information that applies to artists working today. Everything from uh, licensing agreements, legal templates, tax information, how to diversify your income streams as an artist, how to find spaces or Um, alternative gallery spaces to show with digital marketing best practices and uh, tons of quotes from all kinds of players in the art world so I really can't highly recommend this book enough Um, we do also mention it later on in our interview with Kara so we thought this would be a perfect book to share with you um, this holiday season and we're really excited to be giving away a copy yeah and all you have to do to enter to win is just leave us a review on itunes we ask for reviews after every episode because it makes a big difference in helping others to find our show and the more people that listen to our show the more people we can help and the more guests we can get on so it helps everybody here so if you want to get a chance to win this book just leave us a review on itunes before january January 10th, and then on our next episode, which comes out January 11th, we will announce the winner. And now on to the show. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, we're extremely excited to welcome Kara Ober onto the show. If you're listening from Baltimore, then you definitely know her name. Kara is an important cultural producer in Baltimore, especially she is the founder and editor of Be More Art, Baltimore's uh, premier publication for arts and culture in the city, which exists online as a blog, uh, Be 
seymourart.com and now in print as well. Uh, she's been the recipient of numerous grants and awards, both for her personal work as a painter and for Be More Art. She's contributed art writing and criticism to uh, other publications as well, like Hyperallergic, Baltimore Style Magazine, Art News, and more. She was a former arts and culture editor at the Urbanite Magazine in Baltimore and is also a professor, um, lecturer, and a curator. Um, hopefully I got all of that information correct. And Kara, is there any uh, facet of the art world that you haven't been involved with? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> well thank you so much for being here um, with us and it's so funny because just yesterday uh, amanda and i both listened to another podcast episode that just came out where you were interviewed about your work and career i know so many podcasts i'm sorry i was like oh we we didn't time this well there's too many podcasts that's okay yours will come out in no it was great so there will be some space between good they just won't know that this is recorded the day after that one came out (laughs) Well, they know now. Right. Maybe I shouldn't mention that part. <laughs> yeah, that was like a couple of weeks ago. But <clears throat> yeah, I think this will actually be um, it's might be our last episode before the new year. So I'll just it's crazy to say that in November. But um, happy new year to everyone listening at this time. And so we'll try not to create too much overlap between um, the most recent interview that you did. Um, but we do just want to give our listeners a little bit of background too into your own work and career path and um, the history of Be More Art as well. So maybe just to start us off, Kara, would you mind uh, describing a little bit of your own creative background um, and how you just got involved and in working in the arts? So I always knew that I wanted to be an artist. That was always my goal. And, um, but I, I didn't really know any artists growing up and pretty much everybody in my family was like a teacher or working in education. So I didn't have a whole lot of mentors. Like I, I had a sense that there was this thing I was supposed to be doing and this world I was supposed to be a part of, but it just didn't seem realistic. Um, so early on I went into education and taught art to high school students for a while. And then, um, during that time I did get my MFA at MICA. They have this really great low residency program at MICA for, I think it was specifically designed for teachers. So you could go over four summers instead of going full-time for two years. Oh, okay. Even though I really wanted to be full-time in art school, this low-residency program was great because it cost – the cost was half as much because it was spaced out over four years and also because I could keep my job and, like, pay Mm, for it while I was going, which – Which helps a lot. (laughs) It really helped. I mean, it kind of sucked – you know, to like write a check to Micah like every month or two. But Mm -hmm. most of the people I was in this program with were teachers and had jobs and most of them took out loans. Mm -hmm. So I was really fortunate that um, it was actually my my husband who was like, what are you doing? You're not taking out a loan. Like you have a job. Yeah. So because I didn't have any debt when I finished my MFA, I was able to Mm -hmm. quit my high school teaching job and then start doing a lot of other things. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And what were some of those other things that you started doing once you finished that program? Did you continue continue teaching in any way at that point? Or is that when you really got started working on Be More Art? So I, I had always wanted to be a college professor. I think that was always sort of my game plan that like, oh, this is a good job. You get to teach three classes a semester. You get paid to do your art. 
Um, so that was definitely a goal early on. So I started adjunct teaching um, at MICA, at Hopkins, at a lot of area colleges all over Baltimore. I had already rented a studio with other artists, but I, I was really showing a ton um, in the first couple of years after I finished grad school. So showing in Baltimore, showing in D.C., a little bit in New York, Atlanta, and Dallas. And, like, shipping artwork is really expensive. Yes. Like, <laughs> it sounds really awesome. But I was making these giant paintings on stretch canvas, and shipping them was kind of crazy. So, yeah, note to self, international career, work on paper. can roll it up much better. <laughs> Um, that's my that's my uh, my golden <laughs> suggestion for today. And so these showing opportunities, how did those start to come about for you? Were you applying to things, or were they through connections you made in grad school? Like, how were those starting to? I was definitely applying for everything. I was applying for mm-hmm. a ton of things. You know, I, I definitely. At Beamer Art, I'll get these emails from people. Sometimes I know them. Sometimes I don't, and they're like. I'm an artist, you know, how do I get my work out there? And it's, it's a really hard thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it really takes a lot of time. And that's actually a good thing because there's so many, you know, there's so many mistakes that young artists make. And, and I think it's really important to have your work at a certain level of professionalism and for you to kind of be at that level before your work is exposed to some huge giant audience. Because that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. It's not all good. You know, I, I just applied for things. And that's what I say to young artists. I mean, calls for entry are people who are looking for you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. as opposed to like trying to chase after galleries who are probably not. I always tell people, I think um, gallerists, you know, gallery directors like to be this discoverer, adventurer. I mean, Christopher Columbus is obviously not a politically correct uh, analogy here, but they sure. they all want to be that. They want to discover their own artists, right? Mm-hmm. For them, that's yeah. their own art. So if you put your art in places where they're going to see it, you know, via those juried shows, good juried shows, um, you know, if your goal is gallery representation, I think that's the best thing you can do. I think that and, you know, invite these people for a studio visit, right? I, mm-hmm. I mean, back in back in the day, people would like schlep around a portfolio and show up at a gallery and that shit was awkward. <laughs> that was bad. Um, yeah, you don't even have the buffer of the internet at that point. No, to no. Use the but it, but <laughs> it, reaction. Yeah, like a well-informed, well-phrased, respectful request for a studio visit, I think is, is really smart as well. I mean, after you have actually visited the gallery, right? There's nothing more mm-hmm. sort of presumptuous as an artist who's like, come look at my work. And they've actually never supported the gallery in any way so I mean that whole system is right it's kind of crazy because it's supposedly this economic system mm-hmm. but it's a business where you know someone's selling something that can't be eaten or worn or lived in so there's that and then they're also it's, it's the kind of business where if you're not the right kind of collector the gallery might not sell to you Ooh. like mm-hmm. like that's that's yeah. a crazy business to be in yeah so it's complicated this is always so completely foreign to me because the gallery world is very different from the world where I'm selling my work, which is like at markets mm-hmm. and doing wholesale through different stores and boutiques and doing right. online sales. And it's crazy to see these very distinctly different routes that people can take to sell their work. And I love learning about the side that I never work in because I think I always have been afraid to 
go that route just because it's so foreign to me. It is. And I think artists have a ton, especially young artists. I mean, unless you're an established artist, there's no reason why um, artists can't do what you're doing Mm -hmm. in sort of a, a craft Route. I think um, a lot of the craftspeople, you know, especially the ones I've observed in Baltimore, but in other places, I mean, they're excellent at marketing their work. They've created a community with other makers. Mm-hmm. They've created places where people will come and buy. And it just seems like it's, it's working. Like yeah. you're able to make an income, whereas, you know, a, a fine artist, maybe they'll sell one or two pieces a year. Mm-hmm. That's probably not going to cover their costs. More often than not, artists are, you know, showing the work, having a reception, serving the wine, yeah. um, putting the time mm-hmm. and money in and, and not, it's almost more like playing the lottery or something. Yeah. Not always getting it back out until you're at a certain level. Yeah. Right. Well, you described some of your motivations, too, for starting Be More Art, um, along with giving visibility to the cultural scene in Baltimore and encouraging attendance for what was already happening there is was to be able to ask those questions and, and figure out for yourself, too, how artists are surviving, paying their bills, getting their work out into the world, and then using it as an excuse to ask nosy questions as well, which was really you know, the motivation for this podcast too. Yeah, that's why I like it. <laughs> that's, why, yeah. that's why I like your podcast. Um, oh, thank oh, you. Um, but I'd love to know in those early days of, of starting to write for Be More Art, um, what were some of the early observations that you were starting to make as far as coming up with answers to those questions, um, things that you were beginning to just notice in that research? Well, I mean, for me, the, the main question always was, you know, how do artists survive? How do artists mm-hmm. build their lives around their practice? I mean, artists don't want the same things as as regular people, quote unquote, regular people. I mean, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. never been a, a priority for me to like want to buy a nice car or like just like all these sort of status things mm-hmm. or like I don't spend my Sunday afternoons watching football. Like I just for for an artist, like the time, the studio, the space, the materials, most of it's time mm-hmm. um, just to mm-hmm. make your work. And then, you know, also to be in community with other artists. Yeah. Yeah. Just figuring it out. Like, how does this work? If I, if I don't, if I didn't grow up, you know, sometimes I'll meet Micah students whose like parents are like famous artists or they're at least semi-famous artists from New York or they grew up around. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, so many things that I never knew. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I, I sort of invented this publication to to find these things out. And um, I mean, the cool thing, I guess, and also the the difficult thing about it is that no two artists do it the same way. Yeah. So I can ask the same questions. Absolutely. Of one artist and like they're doing great financially or, uh, you know, in in other ways and then talk to another artist who's, you know, their work is different, their market is different, their way of, of, you know, building an audience and forming relationships is different. But I'd like to think that there were definitely things that I could borrow and, and use for my own career as well. And then I wanted to share that with other artists. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know that's what we've learned a lot from doing this podcast is just so much information that we've been able to glean from it. And it's cool to be able to ask the same questions to different people and get different answers. Initially, when I first started hearing it, my brain was like, oh, no, like these people are contradicting each other. But the real moral of the story is everyone's journey is going to look completely different. And there is no right or wrong way to get your work out there and to make a living off of your work. You just have to 
try it and see what works for you. And I know I've definitely had a lot of trial and error experiences and a lot of success that I've just sort of stumbled upon. And you you take those experiences and, and you add them to your uh, like sort of stockpile of knowledge and just keep moving forward and, and gleaning more information. And it, it sounds like a lot of the motivation between you starting Be More Art and us starting this podcast is very similar where it's like, I just want to learn how everyone else is doing it. Yeah. And also give people the opportunity to connect and learn from each other and not just learn only from me. <laughs> Yeah, having those central pl- like platforms too for those conversations to happen, I think is so important. And the fact that all of these career paths really look so diverse is, I think, part of the reason that the what the life of an artist looks like remains so cloaked in mysteries because it's really hard to come up with any sort of a a blanket statement around it or you know give an answer in a nutshell. But one thing I want to point out too for artists that are listening and and kind of looking for resources or you know a- advice that's already out there within Be More Art specifically, if you are on the main page of their website and you scroll down, I, I think almost towards the bottom on the right hand side, there is actually a section that you've put together for professional development where you've included all of the past articles that sort of fall into that category and there's just really great uh, topics covered everything from pricing your work to uh, writing an artist statement why some artists should buy real estate opening your studio (laughs) Um, so a lot of great topics are covered there um, and I think that you should definitely check it out if you are looking for more on those topics but Kara could you just describe a little bit more of uh, Be More Art's journey and sort of path to sustainability um, because you started the blog in 2007 is that correct yeah so this 2017 marks the 10 year anniversary then I know it's crazy happy anniversary (laughs) which is incredible thank you yeah I'm not throwing another fucking party (laughs) I will I will have a magazine party congratulations are still in order but (laughs) thank you yeah I'm not having a separate party for the anniversary like that would kill me I would lose my mind um yeah so uh started out with a little blogger blog I don't know if blogger Mm -hmm. blogs even still exist I mean every once in a while I'll stumble upon one one mm-hmm. like just randomly on the internet and I'll be like oh yeah it's baby. like that's so cute oh <laughs> look, look at look at that like wow I mean summer summer you know there's like the internet is just like a graveyard of those yeah. millions and millions of those <laughs> yeah. but yeah I had this friend in grad school and we were like yeah let's let's make our own blog Baltimore doesn't have any blogs let's do it and we talked about it for a while and then finally one day I was like okay I'm just gonna do it I'm gonna like put in my email stuff and press whatever and now we have a blog and I like added him on as a admin and I sent him all the stuff and then he was like yeah he's like I'm not really a good writer and like that was the end of the conversation with him he was just done he was done with it I was just like okay well I'm just gonna start doing this thing and see what happens and and uh there were other sort of like friends and colleagues people who had recently graduated mostly uh from master's programs at MICA who wanted to contribute so I would have a lot of people you know just being like, hey, I saw the show. Can I write about it? Sure. What I was doing a lot of at that time was just posting show announcements mm-hmm. and almost like more like what show space is now. Yeah. But I would write some mm-hmm. reviews and some of it was critical, but a lot of it was just like, hey, this is happening. This is happening. Go to this. Go to that. And so it sort of evolved into like a certain kind of publication. And then that led to me working for a lot of other different magazines So working with different editors, with different 
sort of strategies for, for reaching an audience was really helpful in sort of shaping what Be More Art has become. So yeah, so I worked for some other things. I did a lot of freelancing. I guess it was in 2012 was the first time that we got funding from a local foundation, mm -hmm. which was awesome because, I mean, there, I mean, you probably have noticed there are not a ton of, of grants for art media. Yeah. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like there's grants for art if you want to do public art, yeah. right? If you want to do a thing in a place with people, there is money for that. Uh, most, It seems like most grants and funding opportunities seem to think that publications are commercial mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that like we can't have an art-based publication or a publication that is art. Like it just exists for its own sake. So yeah. there just weren't that many opportunities for funding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was really thrilled to have been approached by the Robert W. Deutsch Foundation, who are based in Baltimore. They are hyper local. Mm -hmm. They envision this uh, arts ecosystem. And the president of the foundation uh, has a background in journalism. So she's a former editor um, at the uh -huh. Baltimore Sun and Baltimore Magazine. So she gets it, yeah. which is amazing. So that was the first time I was able to pay myself mm -hmm. and pay my contributors mm -hmm. to write for Be More Art, which is, I mean, we did a whole redesign, added some other programming, but it's, that was just a completely a, a, a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. And were you actively seeking funding at that time to make Be More more sustainable? Or you said they approached you about this opportunity? They did, which was opportunity. so wonderful. So I had had a, I had my son in 2010. And after I had him, I had to cut back on a lot of the adjunct teaching I was doing. Mm -hmm. I focused more on journalism. And I was working for this urbanite local magazine doing like this online publication every week for them did that for two years. And then after that publication decided not to exist anymore, I decided that I was gonna try to be a commercial publication just like them because advertisers, I knew what they were paying and I knew they were paying for my writing. So mm -hmm. I was like, I'm gonna yeah, you had this insight into the other side. Yeah, like, I'm totally gonna reach out to all these advertisers. And I'm gonna do all this stuff. And like, we're gonna become more professional, we're gonna ramp up our coverage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did that for about a year where I wasn't paying myself or contributors were working for free, but we were doing like more professional regular coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, I think, when we started doing our, like, curated events, weekly posts. And I basically made, like, zero dollars. And it was very sad. Yeah, still very much a labor of love at that point. Yeah, I was just, and it was, like, so frustrating. Because suddenly I had kind of turned it into a full-time job for myself. But yeah. mm -hmm. without any pay. So um, it just got, was at a point where it wasn't working. And, um, and that was really frustrating. That was really... Um, disappointing because you're like come on Baltimore like I'm, I'm doing this thing you you know you're you're so sad when the publications yeah, fold giving and giving and the city paper mm -hmm. just died I mean yeah. I can't tell you how many institutions or people that work at them are like I'm so sad the city paper died and I'm like well maybe you could have stopped what? it if you had contributed did you donate have it. you <laughs> so, I mean mm -hmm. It's really, it's, it's just interesting. It's, it's an interesting business to, to be in. I think um, good journalism requires a, a ton of, of work and mm -hmm. editing and professionalism and training. And it's just, it's expensive. Yeah. So, you know, mm -hmm. to, to do it well. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know about this field I picked for myself, but. Uh... <laughs> I'm amazed that you've been able to take it from the web into print because most media sources have been forced to do the opposite. Like I think I even read that 
Teen Vogue is dying and they're yes. going just online and that's it. I'm like, yes. Teen yeah. Vogue? That's crazy. Like, that's insane. And Teen Vogue is so amazing. I know. I started um, following them around the, like, around when the election happened and I was like, Teen mm-hmm. Vogue is very woke. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fierce. Um, what is the editor's name? She's awesome. Oh, I, I don't just read remember. This I great. Yeah, piece I know. On I was. Her. Yeah, I'm gonna look it up because yeah. I also was just reading about her. I was her. so She's sad amazing. to see that happen. I mean, they'll still be doing stuff online, but they'll still exist. Yeah, yeah. they'll still exist. Hopefully, hopefully, this isn't like a step towards not existing. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, this is be, just a step towards yeah. sustainability. I mean, you know, an online publication does very different things than a print publication. Mm-hmm. So that was something that I've I've learned, and it's it's been really interesting to see the way people react to it, mm-hmm. to have to figure out like a whole separate set of rules yeah. around print versus online. You know, I, I like to see both of them as like a partnership or a family, but they're not their content doesn't overlap at all. Mm-hmm. The design is, is mm-hmm. very purposefully different. But yeah, I, I had this idea in my head for like a year that I wanted to make a really pretty art magazine in print. Yeah. And I didn't really know why. <laughs> and uh, when, I, when I finally got the funding to do it, then I had to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some of those obvious differences that you learned between an online publication and a printed publication? Well, I mean, one thing that I think is just different about this printed publication in general is that it's um, it's evergreen, it's thematic, and it's sort of a hybrid between, I like to think of it as a hybrid between a curated thematic exhibition and a magazine. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of commercial, and it does have some ads at this point that are um, art-centric, mm-hmm. but it's also, you know, designed to be, you know, collected and kept and long lasting. And so if you pick up any of the issues a year or two from now, most of the content should still be relevant. Mm -hmm. And so that was like a weird thing that the designer of the magazine and I decided on that Mm -hmm. it would just be something different. Whereas online is very much like what's happening right now, who's doing what things that are kind of coming and going. So you know, ours doesn't have any uh, calendar items, it doesn't have any, you know, we try to avoid anything that's going to be like, we don't have Mm -hmm. exhibition reviews. And that really confuses advertisers as well mm-hmm. because they're like well i'm gonna advertise this thing but it's over in a month so is that cool right without that time stamp yeah. <laughs> like, like do whatever you want but it's evergreen so it's more of like a a permanent addition to your collection of of media essentially as opposed to just like something that you consume every month or week and then you pass it on exactly so it's like yeah, a, I mean, a yeah an art book but it's yeah yeah, yeah it is. has that made it a challenge to to find funding or bring in advertisers for the print publication or do you feel like the, uh, between the blog and print that they are really are helping to sustain each other so the interesting thing is that the the print ads are actually um much easier to sell Mm -hmm. than online and online can travel online can mobilize people for events happening right now you know or tomorrow or next month or whatever Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. But yeah, it's a lot. It's been much harder for me to sell online ads Mm -hmm. than it has for print. And I think just because the print thing is special and because there's a deadline um, and there really isn't anything like it around for a specific niche market. Mm -hmm. So it's like museums, art schools, artist housing, art-centric banks, Mm -hmm. which which is fantastic. I mean, it was really exciting to to get that support. I mean, and and I honestly, like, this isn't why I do this. I I hate all that shit. And it's... (laughs) Right, yeah. It's exhausting. I mean, I just want to make this nice thing. Yeah. And then for, yeah, for people to like it. Yeah, that's the plight of the artist, right? Is we we just want to make our work and we want to be in the studio figuratively, you know, just focusing on the, the creative work itself. And then these are sort of all of those behind the scenes things that, you know, might not be as enjoyable, but unfortunately are just wrapped all together yeah. um, into building a sustainable career. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. and Elaine Welteroth is the editor-in-chief of Team okay. Vogue. Yay. Um, is what Google told me. Uh, <laughs> but besides Be More Art, what are some of the your favorite resources for professional development for artists or places that you would recommend um, artists look to um, to start to either build a repository of you know information or start to build these skills when it comes to figuring out how to bring in advertisers or how to price for their work or... Yeah. other sources of information so i taught this uh professional development class at mica for seven or eight years Mm -hmm. and i love teaching that class it's 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 really fun because i got to bring in artists and different people and we would visit galleries and studios and you know get them out of the the college bubble and into the real world and so before i taught that class i spent a summer like reading all of these artists like professional development books Mm -hmm. like i think i read like i was at the pool like reading these how to survive as an artist yeah. how to I mean there's and there's a ton of them mm-hmm. there's a, there's a ton of them and the more that they promise the less you should trust them okay so mm. like if they promise that like it's going to be easy or they say no, that they're going to be able to transport this? no no it's all bullshit yeah. never believe any of that it's terrible but the, to me the one that, that I think is uh, really solid and been the most helpful is art slash work mm-hmm. it's by Heather Darcy yes. Dari, and Jonathan Melber Heather would be a great interview for this podcast she's wonderful and uh she just came out with her second edition yeah. like this past like, like yeah a week ago, we've been talking about it yeah so i think i mean that book doesn't make any promises it doesn't say you're guaranteed to be as like oh i see these things that they make me crazy where it's like art world secrets revealed just no. pay me money and come to my thing and like no just no, no. don't just never ever but um, yeah, I think that book is fantastic. And it's like, just how to do this, mm-hmm. how to do that, how to send a press release, how to ship a wet painting, like how to build a box for it. Oh. I mean, it's just like, so yeah, I'll echo that because it's deep. probably the, the one book that I turn to the most often, just for everything when when anything new comes yeah. up, um, career wise, it's yellow. It's really when I so I was talking to her about this when she's planning the next one. And I was like, what color is the next one going to be? Because like that bright, bright orange color mm-hmm. became sort of intertwined with the just the identity of the book. I was like, yeah. is it going to be green? Mm-hmm. I think it should be green. She's like, no yellow oh, love it so i was like all right okay <laughs> so yeah that that book is it's just really helpful yeah it's it's really helpful it doesn't make any false promises but it's it's fantastic i think artist you is a great resource i don't know if you're familiar with them yes i actually Andrew did Simonette their workshop in Baltimore too yeah i mean i could just listen to him talk all day 
about pretty much anything. But uh, so Andrew Simonette has also written a book and it's available for free online as a PDF or you can buy a small printed edition. It's like this little pocket size guide. And I, I forget the title off the top of my head. I think it's like making your life as an artist or something. I think I actually have it on my computer right now. And I... It's so good. It's really fantastic. Where Heather's book is much more like specific, like how to do this thing, how to do that thing. Andrew's is much more like soul searching, like the why of it Mm. the why and the like fuck it just do it here's why here's why artists matter so it's like kind of two sides you know I think you kind of need both Mm -hmm. yeah those are great recommendations yeah their website is just artists plural artistsu.org and I think you can download that workbook right from their website so in the years that you taught professional practices um, as well what were some of the other fundamental lessons that you were either pulling from all these books you were reading or that you really wanted to instill in your students um, along with just getting outside of the college bubble and exposing them to everything that was going on locally and bringing more awareness to you know, what was happening outside of, of campus life. Mm-hmm. What were just some of the, the sort of core aspects to the curriculum um, that you were developing? So the first half of the class was really how to create the tools that everybody needs. So like on mm-hmm. that professional development list of articles on Be More Art, the one that is always consistently read the most is how to write the artist statement. And I think Mm. it's called like, Mm. like why the artist statement sucks or something like that, because it does suck. Everyone hates writing an artist statement and and critics hate reading them. So there's that. But like, if you want to participate, if you want to put your hat in the ring for any kind of grant or any kind of opportunity, you have to do it. So we would kind of spend the first half of the semester doing, you know, a bio, a statement, a resume, a press release, just those those basic things. And then I would force them to create a website mm-hmm. and also documentation of the work. And then from there, the second part of the class would be okay, so now that I have these tools in my toolbox, what do I do with them? Mm -hmm. Like, why do I have them? What do I want for myself? So here's a range of options. I would bring in someone who had done like a zillion residencies to talk about all these amazing residencies and, you know, the fact that some are free and some are not and what that does for your career Mm -hmm. and kind of like tracing through their career with them. One of my favorite ones is on how to conduct different kinds of studio visits because that was something I never learned in grad school. Like, you have like a visiting career but that's not you know so like how to have a studio visit with a collector versus a curator versus um, like an open studio Mm -hmm. situation and like just talking about you know curation and goals and everything from like how to time it and like what to serve them or not serve them for the food or drink or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's like it's kind of fascinating but I have to say like after I sort of figured out how to do a studio visit I felt much more confident you know, hosting people in my studio and inviting people in and sort of knowing what I wanted to get out of that studio visit, whether it was, you know, selecting work for a sale, picking work for a show, building a relationship with someone who might want to collect the work in the future or just whatever it is. So that was sort of one of my favorite ones. But, you know, how to apply for exhibitions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ethics in the gallery is a huge one because so many galleries are so shitty to artists. I mean, a lot are not. A lot are fantastic. But like... 
you know, what do I do with my work? You know, do I want it to be in social practice? Do I want it to be in exhibitions? Do I want to be a community artist? Or do I want to be, do I want to be a superstar in New York City and do this international art circuit thing? And mm-hmm. how do you do that? Some Somebody's got to do it, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a fun class. And yeah. So how were you developing some of the material for this? Was this just coming through conversations that you've had with other artists over the years? Was a lot of this information coming from the the good professional development books that you were finding for artists like where were you sourcing so some was some was books and different blogs oh social media that's another one there was like a huge social media and I I co-taught it with Alex Epstein who's fantastic Mm -hmm. and um I I feel like I learned everything about Instagram I've learned from Alex Epstein but like people are (laughs) buying and collecting and curating art off of Instagram yeah how you know what is the Mm -hmm. hashtag how do you how do you Mm -hmm. you know what is the strategy like all those things are really helpful yeah um but then bringing in like random you know guest artists who have done interesting things like I think one year Alex brought in Dan Deacon and he talked about you know being poor on tour Mm -hmm. and you know how he filled his giant you know bag with like 50 cans of beans and that's what he ate for like a month or two because he you know it's like these crazy things but you're like oh he made this work cool that's inspiring Mm -hmm. I can take a little bit of that I can take a little bit of that you know determination and crazy and and uh roll it into whatever it is I want to do yeah I wanted to know if you've seen things Throughout the years of teaching this course, uh, certain things become less important over time as the world around us develops and things that have really skyrocketed into importance, like social media, where, you know, five years ago, this is not anything I was really thinking about. And now I'm like, oh, I'm getting wholesale orders through Instagram just because someone happened to see that I was like tagged in a certain location or they happened to check the right hashtag. And now Mm -hmm. that's like a $500 order that I didn't have before. And now I do. Yeah, it's crazy. No, I mean, I think it's essential for for teachers, for classes, for publications mm-hmm. to evolve with, you know, with the times, whatever that means, like the, the way that you reach your audience is going to change. And that's, that's really the only given. So figuring out what's working for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, f- for me, I, I always like to do sort of, sort of active hands on action research. Mm-hmm. So it means you know, usually it means emailing someone I probably don't even know and being like, hey, what you're doing is really cool. Can I ask you more about that? Yeah. Or, you know, will you come talk to my class about what you're doing? And and, uh, and most people are really generous and honest, um, both about their success and their failure, which is great. I, I feel like over the years, I've only had a handful of artists who were kind of, you know, for a long time, I think artists were sort of forced to pretend to be really successful, like mm-hmm. fake it till you make it. But like there was no room to admit that you had a day job or that you were poor or that you struggled or that, you know, you got a rejection letter. Mm -hmm. And I think as a result, there was this weird sheen of like, you will be a success or or not. And it's like fate or something. I don't think that's helpful. Like I, I, I can remember being in grad school asking one of my professors, like, how did your painting get into this museum? Like, how does an artist get a work into a museum? Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, don't worry about it. And like, that was it. That's not helpful. That's not an answer. That's that's a that's that's a shrug and walk away. (laughs) Yeah, he did not want to tell me. And like, so that was something I wanted to find out. So I spent a lot of time like figuring out like, okay, like most artwork 
It, well, some artwork is bought by museums, but a lot of it is donated. Mm-hmm. But artists can't donate their mm-hmm. work, right? A collector can donate the work yeah. and then deduct that, you know, the value of the work for tax purposes. Mm-hmm. But an artist can't do that. And most museums will not accept work donated by an artist mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's mm-hmm. like, who do I have to have dinner with? Who do I have to yeah. invite to my studio? Or, who, you know, how do these relationships? So, you know, and so probably the placement of that painting was a result of like years of discussion or maybe not, but it's pretty interesting how hard artists work. And then sometimes we pretend that we're not actually doing that work. Mm-hmm. So I... I, I like to sort of pull away the pull away that screen and kind of show people what's really going on. Yeah. And I mean, I know that's a huge reason why we wanted to do this podcast. It's just create a platform mm-hmm. of utter candor where people can say like, yeah, I had a day job for 10 years while I was trying to get my career started, or I still have a day job, or I'm like doing all of these different things to make it work. And even in the like craft community, there's definitely that kind of, there can be like a stinginess of knowledge, but then on the opposite end, some people are so incredibly open. And like one of my favorite things to do at a show is to talk to other makers and ask them, you know, where they're selling their work at and what other markets they're doing and we'll talk about the nitty-gritty of like how you know what are the dimensions of the space how much is the booth fee like is it worth it how much did you actually make and that makes such a huge difference and like I know my first couple of years I did a lot of really crappy shows where I was barely making Mm -hmm. any Mm -hmm. money and now from spending more time talking to other artists I'm like okay I know this show is going to be worth five of those other shows so I'm not going to waste my mm-hmm. time on those and I can focus on these bigger ones it's the same with with artists and yeah. exhibitions yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah and so much of this the conversations that we're even having now are really hinge on the generosity mm-hmm. of others um, you know we're we're doing the same kind of thing and in, in cold calling artists and so you know being able to to bring people on like you, Kara, who are, are really open and generous with their knowledge has been such a, a big part of this. And it really, I think, does help, you know, all these other artists hone their own strategies and approaches the more that we can can talk really openly. Um, and it has also encouraged me to start to reach out more to other artists for help with things like I was trying to figure out how to price out large-scale mule projects to include um, that in the budget of these like public art proposals and I have no experience with that so I've started to reach out to other um, painters who are doing that kind of work to find out if they can share anything Um, so that's really cool and I don't think I would have thought of of doing that as much like just that simple step of Mm -hmm. um, reaching out to get the conversation going so I also wanted to ask like what are some of the things that artists aren't really talking about with each other that you think we should be a little more transparent about to generate that level of support um, or really just to, to even to raise the economic profile of artists in society. What do I think artists should be talking more about? Like what are the taboos? What is still Yeah, taboo? like things, if anything, or maybe we're all pretty open at this point and we're, at this point, we're doing a I good mean, job of sharing. It's different. Things are very different now than even 10 years ago. And I think um, I think someone like Sharon Loudon is is having an impact and changing changing the way artists think about what they do. But I think um, you know I think among younger artists there is a lot more there's a lot more sharing and a lot more openness and a lot more you know there's like less willingness to pretend. I don't know like the art the art world is weird. There is always sort of this emperor 
new clothes thing going on yeah. where galleries would pretend that, you know, all the works were sold when they were actually were not. Or just like just weird shit like that that should never go on. Mm-hmm. So I, I think things are a lot more open. I think the internet has changed that. I think social media has changed that. I mean, sometimes it gets it gets ugly. It gets crazy. And when you look at when things actually do erupt into controversy, it gets extreme and it gets real. It's just kind of interesting to be able to see like after the the Dana Schutz controversy mm-hmm. at the Whitney, like to, to read the response and then read the manifesto and, and see the comments and then read Coco Fusco and then, you know, read the response and and this conversation evolves so quickly. You know, that didn't used to happen when we only had these like monthly art magazines full of ads. and Right. And just the way that it takes news so much longer to, to travel that distance. Um, those boundaries really now are broken down with the internet. <laughs> I mean, look at Art Forum. Look at Art Forum last week. Yeah. I mean, oh my God. It's... Like that, I don't know what's going to happen with that publication, but I mean, the editor has resigned. The how many how many two hundred thousand women signed the the manifesto the next day, saying you know we're not going to be silent about this kind of treatment anymore. I mean, I, and I actually did you read the piece that uh, Rebecca Kirkman and Mara Callahan wrote for the City Paper maybe a month or so ago? But it was sort of about sexual abuse within the arts community, mm-hmm. specifically women kind of stepping up and saying they're going to tell their story and they're not going to be silent anymore, that this is a community that doesn't have a whole lot of rules where mm-hmm. certain things go on unchecked. Um, just, and so we're not going to really keep this happy veneer of everyone getting along if we're not. So I think that's... I think it's important. I think it's healthy. Yeah. And the way that dialogue occurs so much faster now that these responses are so immediate because of the way that we do have access to the information and can become an immediate part of the conversation ourselves. Yeah. I mean, the, the Me Too hashtag, right? I mean, yeah. it'll be interesting yeah. to see like what actually occurs Mm-hmm. versus what people are simply just putting out into the interwebs. But um, it, mm-hmm. it seems like something is happening and, and people are, especially women, seem to be much more willing to to say things that they wouldn't have said even five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, the tide is turning for sure. God, this is huge and this is everywhere and this really is everyone but without social media yeah where would we even be in this conversation or would this conversation have ever even occurred it's yeah it's highly doubtful and um i mean the art world is very weird i mean you have it's like a pyramid right so 99 percent of the art world is just artists people like us who just want to make cool stuff want to be in community might want to have a Mm -hmm. show get some you know a chance to to engage, to talk, mm-hmm. to share the work, to share the energy. But, um, you know, the, the top part of the pyramid, there's really entrenched structures of power. And there's just a few people that really control what is, you know, increasingly what's seen, what's mm-hmm. bought. Um, there's just a few mega galleries now that, I mean, if you look at what museums are showing, like who gets the big shows at museum, check and see which galleries represent those artists. I mean, chances are it's like one of five mm-hmm. and that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty fucked up. That's yeah. pretty unhealthy. So it'll be interesting to see if that 
trend continues or if mm-hmm. that's something that changes. It, it seems like we keep talking in the art world about, you know, women and people of color getting more opportunities for exhibitions mm-hmm. and especially in museums. And But the this, this, uh, statistics don't necessarily prove that to be changing. So it'll be interesting to see. And, and people like us have to sort of stay on top of that and keep having those conversations. Yeah, we were, uh, Nicole and I, I mean, now it's probably been a couple weeks, but we were talking about how one of Nicole's students that she had worked with when, um, when she was working in admissions at MICA had just started the movement of draw the like hashtag drawing while black. And it's something that I like, you know, I'm, a a white girl from Florida. So I'm only exposed to the experience that I have in my life and what directed me here and being able to have that conversation educates me. And also, I think it's important for for everyone's voice to be heard and to be equally represented. And that's something we have to be conscious of. It's not just going to happen on its own. No, it's not. And if the people at the top continue to just be all the same type of people Mm -hmm. (laughs) we can't really expect a different result what do you feel are maybe still some of the most common misconceptions that you see young artists holding on to about the way that the art world operates or um, what are some of the most common questions that you uh, continue to be asked by young artists in your work as um, as professor curator editor and and just someone very involved with the art world I mean I, I definitely think that the idea of the starving artist as the symbol of like purity, as a symbol of what is good, it still exists to the point where, you know, some of the students that I'll teach who are, you know, paying what 40 grand a year to go to art school are like, I don't want to ever show in a gallery. I don't want to ever sell my work. Somehow like making money or getting paid for your work is like dilutes the integrity of the art in some way yeah yeah and I think process yeah I think that's really unhealthy I mean we're none of us again none of us are doing this because we want a lot of money we would have picked something else if money was our goal it's just rare that anyone in any other professional field would do so many things for free so I think you know, for, for artists to, to ask for what they need, to ask for resources when they require them, and to not be sort of averse to, you know, being paid for your work. I think, I think that kind of holds people back, you know, in other countries, you know, in, in some European countries, if you're an artist, you just get a check from the government, like, you, right. just, you just get a check in the mail for being an artist. Um, and I'm not convinced that the art being made there is all that great or any better than art being made here but it, it is this attitude that like the work of artists is is valuable and we value it it makes our our world you know our world it, it's not even like it makes it a better place that makes it seem like it's not essential no it, it is art and artists are essential to to society and culture yeah mm-hmm. there's so many of those weird preconceived notions and I know in school, I dealt with it a lot internally because there was such an attitude against craft where it's like, you are either an artist or you are a crafter. And I don't see the difference. Like, it's both creative work. And I had to really break down that idea for myself and accept the fact that like, yes, I want to sell in stores and I want to sell in markets and I want to make a living off of my work. And whether you call it craft or art, it doesn't make a difference to me because I know how it makes me feel and it feels like art to me. And like even uh, in a previous episode when I was uh, putting out the description, like Nicole had mentioned that there are some words in the art world that are like 
just for some reason have this really negative connotation, like one of them being style. We had the conversation of developing a style as a fine artist and how that also has the sort of, I don't know, connotation of being something that you kind of put on that's somehow less authentic. Yeah, it's like like vaguely hoary or something. Yeah, I'm like... Right, there's just... Yeah, it's like one of those weird nuances of the way that we talk I'm holding my brand. Brand is like a dirty word. But if you look at artists who are killing it, who are, you know, who are doing really well, or starting to do really well mm-hmm. their brand is 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 on point I mean they mm-hmm. it's not it doesn't happen by accident yeah. so right. yeah I think being being open to that but also you know not being grossly commercial I mean we've all met you know the artist who is like buy my thing buy my thing you want to buy my thing hey do you want to buy my thing and you're just like no you know like a hard sale is never right it's like it's like the people that come to your door to sell you magazines like I'm sorry like I get like a million magazines already I don't even have time to read them all and (laughs) just there's this thing called the internet you should sell magazines on the internet because that's how people buy them now or have a store don't come to my house I'm sorry like (laughs) that sound really mean that sounded really mean no it's direct Yeah. But there's certain things that work. I mean, it's like in critique with students. I mean, you don't want to be too heavy handed. You don't want to crush their spirit or their soul. But if they're doing something that's really not working, you're not doing them a favor by saying that it is. I mean, it's the same with writing art criticism. I mean, I I feel strongly that I need to be constructive when I'm being critical. Mm -hmm. So I need to offer suggestions on ways it could be better. And and it's, it's biased. It's my opinion. If I don't say that and I'm not honest and I'm saying something is good when it's not that's not helpful it might make like the artist mom happy but that's like no one's gonna want to read that yeah and kind of related back to just the idea of of branding being something that you know almost sounds like a dirty word in the art world I think that the the way that we approach our our own work where we are really critical of it and trying to deconstruct it and to to understand it from all angles I think you know if you could take that same approach and apply it to the way that you go about your career as an artist and how you're fitting all those pieces together then you know you, you really can just view everything as as something else to put in your toolkit, like you were saying. And in a lot of ways, knowledge really is power. So not shying away from learning those those skills and uh, stepping outside of you know your studio in the art world and developing this kind of a business savvy or just kind of learning the language of how to speak you know about your art in different contexts. Um, all of that really is so important because it enables you as an artist to, to be really creative and to decide for yourself how you're going to apply those to your own life and path. And again, you don't, you don't have to, become that you yourself as just a brand where you're going door to door trying to sell your paintings that's not the way that you have to digest and then apply that information but I think it is really helpful not not to shy away from that and to figure out you know how it might apply to your work or you know how you might see it yeah I mean you never even have to use it you don't even have to use this stuff but I think knowing it is is really helpful um the one other book I would always make my students read that I think most of them hated was um, in that PD class was uh, Seven Days in the Art World by Sarah Thornton. I've not actually read it, but I, I know the book. And we'll include links to everything if anyone feels so inclined to do their own research. Yeah, it's kind of like art gossip. But she conducted like 300 interviews with all the top names and players. It's really, I mean, it's, it's designed to be a little bit um, salacious. And it's designed for regular people to read, not just artists. 
and it doesn't mm-hmm. have a lot of art speak and it is a little bit sensational and I think that makes artists mad but it is it's like the tippy top of that art pyramid and what goes on there I think it's good for artists to know and, and they're like this isn't really real this doesn't really happen I mean she the one chapter on grad school is like a critique with Michael Asher at CalArts so that's obviously not a typical graduate uh, critique but even so like it was a thing it's like a very famous uh, program mm-hmm. and and method of critique and uh, so yeah I, I do think that book is is worth reading for every artist even though it may be a world that you never even stick your little toe into that's fine it's like no know, know your enemy you know um, mm-hmm. I know she wrote another book that was called like 30 artists or something and not to be confused with the the Rubel family's uh, exhibition but to me I, have, <laughs> I haven't read that one and it's it's about like famous artists only it's like 30 famous artists or I don't know what the number is actually I don't think I can learn all that much from famous artists because they're just like way too far ahead and when they got famous the rules were different yeah it's such the exception and yeah so I would much rather read about an artist who's just like a little bit famous who's maybe just a few steps ahead mm-hmm. um, and talk about how, you know, they got from point A to point B, not like A to Z. A to Z doesn't interest mm-hmm. me yeah. all that much because it doesn't relate. It's more just like, oh, look at these cool people. They're doing, you know, whatever they're doing. But yeah, I, I do like that first book. And I think she's working on a third one, but I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. And that makes sense because if I look at artists like – Every once in a while, I'll look at like, you know, makers that have their work in stores. If I look at artists that are so much further ahead and really built up their career 10 plus years ago, it's not actually going to help me with where I am Mm -hmm. right now in this point in time. And I think that's very good advice to think about regardless of where your ambitions lie, just to to look at people that are just a little bit ahead of you and that are, you know, working in more recent times because someone's success 10 years ago is not going to equate someone's success now. No, it really doesn't translate. It doesn't at all. And Mm -hmm. that's, um, you know, even with professors working with art students, if they're showing them, you know, the famous artists from the 50s and 60s from art history, I mean, that's great. But, you know, I want to see someone who lives nearby who's maybe five or 10 years you know, older than me or ahead of me and, mm-hmm. or even, you know, like the, the age is irrelevant, but just, you know, someone who's just a, just a few steps. How did you get there? Yeah. What did yeah. you do? Where did you show? Especially if the work is in some way similar. It's, I, I really think that's the best kind of research for young artists. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a bit of a segue, but uh, regarding how you balance everything that you have on your plate, because you do a lot, uh, how do you make time for yourself and for family and to actually enjoy the life that you've built up for yourself and not just be working a hundred hours a week. Yeah, my husband gets mad at me sometimes. He's just like, you work all the time. And I'm like, but I love my work. And he's like, please put the phone or the computer or whatever. <laughs> please put that down and just be here yep. now. Yep. And so I'm I'm trying to do a better job of, of listening to that. You know, when I made a decision that I wanted to become a parent, I was, you know, pretty old to do that. And uh, definitely, it wasn't something I thought I was going to do until I was like, yep, I'm doing this. I mean, in the art world, like a lot of people judge you, you know, I didn't even want to tell people. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to tell my dealer at the time, this gallery I was working with to be like, I'm pregnant, Mm -hmm. I'm having a, like I thought, 
I was like, he'll probably just break up with me or something. Like, oh, no. like people, man, he didn't. It was fine. But like, these are the things that go through your head. And I, you know, I had so many people say, seeing my giant belly saying, oh, do you think you'll still make art? It's like, fine, well, tend to still breathe. So <laughs> that is so unfair. Like no man has ever yeah. been asked that. Yeah. No, no male artist has ever been asked that. And like, yeah, there are physical things that are different between men and women, especially when you got a little baby. But like, mm-hmm. that's good. It, it really is like a, it's just like a huge mind fuck really that, you know, as much as possible, you have to try and not subscribe to. But at the same time, I think after I had him, I was really trying to like prove that I, I'm still an artist. I'm still ambitious. I'm still relevant. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and that's kind of exhausting too. I mean, why have a kid if you're not going to enjoy spending time with them? Yeah. And I, and I do enjoy spending time with him. You know, there's only so many things you can do. I, I, uh, Rented a studio space recently at Area 405. It's kind of like, you know, you join the gym, so you're going to exercise because you pay the money. So I'm kind of like forcing myself to go there and and make artwork. I think it's it's important to do. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough when you sort of love your work, but it can take over your life. So I think having friends that are outside of the art world, exercise or whatever it is that you do that's like something different, just being healthy, cooking. Like I get as many food magazines as I get art magazines. It's kind of ridiculous, actually. (laughs) Trying to do all, you know, all the different things and then just stepping away and just being a person Mm -hmm. keeps you sane. Yep. And it's, I, I think it probably will always be a battle when your quote unquote job is your most passionate thing. And like Nicole and I were just talking about hobbies and it's like, well, do we have hobbies if we already do what we love the most? I don't know. Yeah. Artists don't need yeah. hobbies. <laughs> Our entire life Thank is you. other people's yeah, hobbies. <laughs> we don't. Yeah. That's my no. stance. It's so true. Like we, we really don't need them at all. Yeah, like just downtime. What what is that? I I mean that's yeah. that's boring. I'm terrible on vacation. I'm like the worst mm-hmm. on vacation because I just I want to be doing my work. At least writing something. At least reading books or yeah. whatever it is. Ex- expanding my brain. Um, yeah, it's doing nothing. Is I don't know how to do that. Hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. So just yeah. I just I bring I bring work along with me on vacation. I do, or I take vacations specifically to do work is that boring is that terrible i don't know i'll have to make sure that my husband that's a very real answer to this episode because he basically just had an intervention (laughs) with me where he's like so how many hours a day do you think you're working and i'm like i don't know like eight or nine a.m until i burn out at like midnight to two in the morning and he's like yeah no no one else works that much like you need to have a cutoff time and so we had to like sit down and come up with a schedule for me to actually clock out of working on, you know, just sewing all day, every day. Aww. I'm like, okay, this could work. He really loves you. Yeah, he's he's really good. Very helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's he has nice. good work-life balance and I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's typical. I think that's typical for most artists. And, you know, I was having this conversation with someone, a friend last week, and he, he was like, I guess I just have to work more. I have to work more and hadn't seen him in like a month because he's always working. And I was like, no, you need to work less, but work smarter. Mm-hmm. And he's like, smarter, not yeah, harder. smarter. What not does harder. that mean? <laughs> I'm like, you need to work with with strategy. And it's hard to plan things out. Sometimes it's so boring to like have a plan and then execute it. Right. But like you have your deadline. 
you know where you want to be in six months or one year or five years. You, you know why you're doing it. So I think this, like our tendency to kind of just run around with, you know, like a chicken with our head chopped off is like, if you're doing all this extra work, sometimes it's actually less productive than just really focusing on like what the goals are, how you sort of make a plan and then, you know, execute based on that. But if you love what you do, it's hard to put it down, isn't it? Yep, it's very hard. Yeah, or even knowing what kind of work to give up, I think that in the work that I do too as a painter, you know, a lot of it's very solitary. So looking for opportunities for collaboration or ways to sort of spread out the work um, is something that I've only just started to think about. And that's, I think, hard to, to one, give up control over like certain aspects of your work and figure out where you might be able to bring in help and recognize that it's not, you know, you're, you're never going to be doing everything all on your own, whether it's just the sort of emotional support system that you build around yourself through friends and family, or if it's, um, you know, professional support that maybe you're hiring out or you're trading with friends or artists, or you're you're working as part of a team, um, which I know you do with um, a lot of your work, Kara. Are there any other ways that you've sort of seen that, I don't know, come into play, like just having... The, the community um, around you that you do to do you feel that's added to the workload or has that been a way to help scale the work that you do uh, or to sort of distribute it um, so that there is less on your plate personally yeah I mean it's 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 kind of both actually I mean sometimes the the weight of it is kind of crushing <laughs> you know like so many requests for cover this cover that can you send someone can can someone write about this can I mean it, it, at this point there aren't really that many local publications and and I'm excited that a lot of the people from the city paper are coming together and starting something new called Baltimore Beat. I'm really excited about that. They are hiring an art person. City paper was it for art reviews. Mm-hmm. Them and us. I mean, mm-hmm. the Baltimore Sun does some writing about art, but it's not critical. There's a few magazines that will like sort of just like have an inclusion. It's a lot. And and so realizing that like I can't do everything. I can't do it all. Um, when I make a decision to pick one thing over another thing, it needs to be because I'm 100% interested in it, not because I'm doing someone a favor. Like when I when I mm-hmm. say yes to things and it's a favor, um, then the content that is produced is lukewarm, right? And no one mm-hmm. is, I'm not even interested in it. So why would anyone else be? But yeah, say, saying no to things is really hard and, you know, kind of just saying there's only so much I can do. Um, but yeah, I, I do have like mm-hmm. a few um, really wonderful regular contributors who just, I can count on them when they say they're going to write about X and send me the copy and it's going to be this many words on this date, it comes in. And um, so I try to do a good job in terms of balancing all of that out, scheduling things to publish at the best possible time, doing the social media around that. It's like all these moving parts. And it's fun. I mean, reading reading what they write is 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 the fun of it, you know, doing this print magazine, especially when the photos start coming in. I mean, I get to, I have a budget for photographers to create these beautiful images. And I get to say, hey, awesome photographer, I want you to go to this place and shoot this thing. And I have no idea what I'm going to get back, but like it always awesome and it surprises me and it's beautiful and it's so much fun. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like getting presents, you know, and then I get to publish it and share it with other people. So that's like, that's the most fun. That's the best. And just wanting to feel like I'm, I'm doing it better each time. All these people, like part of the team, they're counting on me. So I, I can't fuck it up. Yeah, don't fuck it up. 
You know, that's, it's like number so one. So what are some of the things that you're most um, excited about just looking ahead the next maybe one year, five years? Do, are there any kind of things coming up that you envision either for the evolution of Be More Art or your own personal work? I mean, I have a couple of things just in the next couple of, in the next like six months that are exciting. I'm going to go to Miami for Art Basel this year and um the uh untitled art fair has a radio station and they do Mm. not just podcast style interviews but they do like experimental music they do sound art they do all this cool stuff um yeah so i met um when i was in venice this spring i met the director of untitled art fair and followed up with him and it's like my favorite fair it's on the beach the artwork actually has room um it's beautiful so i'm gonna do three interviews for them um, on site. So I'm really excited about that and then doing some other things with magazines there. I want the magazine. I feel like the quality of the magazine and the artist in it is such that it deserves to be in front of an international art audience. And Miami Basel is one of those places where that audience is. I'm going to go to Miami in a couple of weeks. So that's going to be fun. Um, We're working on the next... to go to the beach. I know. It's perfect. It's kind of, yeah... Yeah, so we're starting work on the next print issue. The theme is beauty, and I think that's going to be really fun to sort of take apart and put back together and challenge and criticize and and examine, both from sort of like social, political, contemporary, art historical, um, and then also to just look at, you know, really beautiful art or artists who actually engage with the idea of what beauty is and redefining that. I mean, every artist has their own definition of what beauty is, but beauty in the art world. Yeah. Speaking of like taboo right? words in the art world, I feel <laughs> yeah. like beauty artists, is, like, is one of yeah, those. Yeah. The art world does not trust the word beauty. It's like, that's like, that's like mm-hmm. code for bad art. Yeah. Beauty. Mm-hmm. No, take that to Teen Vogue. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Teen Vogue. Yeah, so yeah, I want to fill that void, I guess. But yeah, I'm still like, it's so crazy to me that that word would be taboo mm-hmm. amongst, you know, artists and, you know, art students. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I think that issue will be fun. I'm trying to find a place to have our next launch party in April. It has to be very beautiful, obviously. Um, Gotta be. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's that's become part of the process. But yeah, I mean, long term... Not really sure. Um, yeah, I would that's just, okay. Yeah, I just feel like personally for me, it's grown to such a point where I'm doing all these administrative things and what I love to do is write. Mm-hmm. So I would just like to do a lot more writing, both for my own publication and for others. So that's sort of the goal I'm setting for myself for the next six months to um, to just produce mm-hmm. a lot more written commentary and to see where that leads. No, I mean, I feel like you've given us so much to to think through and, and so many great pieces of advice too. Um, but I, I guess really? the last thing we would ask is if there's anything. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, I, yeah, sometimes it doesn't feel that way, I guess, when you're I so mean, immersed I, in I am wearing in um, I'm wearing Ninja Turtle headphones right now. It's okay. I'm in pajamas. Yeah, they, so are you? That's awesome. Yes. It's, it's 333. You're winning. <laughs> You're winning at life. I'm like almost always in pajamas now. I try to put on normal clothes (laughs) when I leave the house, but I'm like, I mean, if I'm working from home, why not work in leisure wear? Yeah, why do I need to take a shower? I don't need to take a shower. No, I just need a stretchy (laughs) waistband. Yeah, those yoga pants. I mean, that's all you need. Yep. 
Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was really fun. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, we always ask, uh, where can we find your work on the internet? Or in print. Yeah, bemorearts.com is the the place to go for all kinds of writing and events and calls and opportunities for artists. I'm really enjoying the uh, Be More Art Instagram these days. And then Mm -hmm. I also have like the the Kara Ober website and and Instagram as well. So I'm having Mm -hmm. a lot of fun with that stuff. And then um, should you want to check out the print magazine we have really wonderful um, vending partners in Baltimore, like Trove, Atomic Books, Good people. the BMA, the Walters, ABAM, Plaza Art Supplies, um, Ivy Bookshop, Bird in Hand. I know there's a few more. I'm forgetting a few. Uh, it, yeah, they're wonderful to work with and, and sell the magazine. So mm-hmm. Awesome. And can you also purchase those um, past print editions on Be More Arts website? You can. For those that aren't local. Yeah, yet. absolutely. Absolutely. You can get, I, I don't know, I think we're almost out of issue one. I'm saving a box of them for posterity, but you can get <laughs> issues two, three, and four um, direct from us at our website mm-hmm. and I will mail it to you. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Oh yeah. Do you have any like final words of advice or advice that's been given to you? Be empathetic. You know, I, I feel like with any situation you go into with another person, it's really important to ask yourself, like, if I was them, mm-hmm. what would I want? You know, there's a lot of people that are asking me for things and the people that usually get those things for me are the ones who make it very obvious that they value what I do, that mm-hmm. they've paid attention to it, that they've read things that I've written. I mean, after I'm putting in your hands Mm -hmm. at that point, you know, I mean, oh, I read your things. (laughs) You know, I just, I think it's really important that you treat people like people. Yeah. Basic human decency applies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and don't fuck it up. Right. That's the other, the other really important thing. So be empathetic. Don't fuck it up. That's golden. Yes. <laughs> we'll put that on a t-shirt. We'll get them printed. That'll be the giveaway for this episode. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Be, I want be one. Be empathetic and don't fuck <laughs> it. I definitely want one. Today's episode of Beyond the Studio is brought to you by Storyblocks, the first place that creators go to find amazing studio quality stock footage, audio, and images for a fraction of the cost. Check out videoblocks.com slash beyond the studio for a special offer of a year-long membership for only $149. And you know what's our favorite part? They don't take a cut, which means you save money while their global community of artists get 100% of that sales price. That's videoblocks.com slash beyond the studio. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. We also ask you to sign up for our email list where you can find all kinds of exclusive content that we don't have available anywhere else that you can do at our website as well. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Happy early new year and happy holidays. Uh, We just want to give you one last reminder uh, to enter to win our free book giveaway for art slash work, everything you need to know and do as you pursue your art career by Heather Darcy Bindari and Jonathan Melber. So just leave us a rating and review on iTunes and we'll announce the winner of our giveaway on January 11th.
I pretty much have asked all my questions. Nicole, do you have more? <laughs> Is this how you guys end the podcast? You're like, yeah. well, I think that's... Well, I guess we're kind of... <laughs> I think that's everything.